Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sports Section Morning Show, episode 14 on this fine Friday. Man, we didn't got to the end of the week again. We didn't got to the end of the week again. Another week closer to Titans football. We had a, I say, a decent preseason game. A decent preseason game last night. It, uh, I mean, it's, it's what you expected with an early preseason game. A lot of starters out. Uh, we're going to talk about the Nashville heavyweight champion of the state, Jamarco Jones. We're going to talk about that Willis and Levis, that spicy quarterback battle for the for the number two spot. We're going to talk about the expectations for this Titans defense. And then reports are starting to inkle out about Taylor Lewan, former Titans left tackle, should be maybe retiring next month. If you could tell by looking at pictures of him, he he's not in no football shape. I'd say he's he's really slimmed down a lot, sort of sort of like the the Joe Thomas route, which is good for him, good for his health. Uh, Caleb Farley's agent being present at Titans practice that's good for everybody. Uh, we're gonna talk about the NFL top one hundred a little bit. We're gonna talk about hot Red Sox prospect Sedan Rafaela, and then Anthony Rizzo with the Yankees and this concussion that he's been battling since I want to say May. And the impact that it's had. So, all that to say, man, let's have a good show. Let's get this thing started. Now you heard it be Will. The Sports Section Morning Show. You are listening to TFTV Sports. All right, all right. Nashville, heavyweight champion of the world. Nashville, heavyweight champion of the world. Jamarco Jones. So here we go. Nashville Jones, Nashville heavyweight champion of the world, Jamarco Jones cut after second fight in two days. Uh, Tennessee, this is from Teron Davenport. Tennessee Titans released offensive lineman Jamarco Jones on Thursday, which is yesterday. Second practice altercation in, in two days. So the first altercation was with Big Jeff. He's, uh, I guess they were, they were, he, knowing the odds of, of what it, the situation likely was, I wouldn't air anything, but I'm just thinking of what it was. Uh, Jamarco Jones probably getting his ass whooped. I ain't gonna lie. In the trenches by by Jeff Jones and was getting mad and was getting mad by Jeffrey Simmons. I know I wasn't saying Jeff Jeffrey Jones this whole time by Jeff Simmons. And I know, I know Jeff Simmons was whooping his ass. I know he was whooping his ass in there because if he wasn't and Jamarco Jones was whooping Jeff Simmons' ass, Jeff Jamarco Jones would probably still be on the damn team. Honestly, honestly. So Jeff Simmons in there whooping his ass. On uh, I want to say Wednesday or Tuesday, one of them days, and they get to fighting. Both get kicked out of practice. Simmons gets sent to the sand pit. Jones gets sent inside. Fast forward to yesterday, he does a Demarco Jones is doing a crackback block, which is a penalty on Chance Campbell. So reports came out that it was Gibbons at first. That was later corrected. Chance Campbell he does a crackback block on Chance Campbell. Defense gets fired up. Aziz gets in his face. They almost get to fighting again there. Dirty play by Jamarco Jones. Two days in a row. Gets kicked out of practice. Lord and behold, after that, he's cut. So, that puts us in a really, really, really big bind. I ain't gonna lie. So, with that being said, our tackle depth was already bad at right tackle. Atrocious. You know, we just signed we just signed Hubbard, uh, Chase Hubbard. But we really don't have a... Uh, a wealth of options at right tackle. We just don't. You know, you got Jalen Duncan, uh, Ojoku, and Rupsich. I think he was from last year. One of the draftees, or he might have been an undrafted free agent from last year or something. Either way, not not much promise in that position. So, I mean, at this point, we're going to have to figure this out. I don't know if... So they're saving... I think they're saving a million or two. With the cutting of Jamarco Jones, which will give us another million back in cap. But, I mean, at this point, this late in the game, and the offseason, the only possibility that we'd be looking at would probably be, you know, a cut from another team later on and probably after the third preseason game. Since, since now, they're doing all the cuts at the same time, too. So, that makes it even, even worse. But, Carthon... And Vrabel have alluded to this this list that they have of running potential cuts throughout the uh, the offseason and the preseason because it looks like it looks like that's the pool of players that we're gonna have to get from. It'll have to be one of these players getting cut from one of these other teams, and we're just gonna have to offer them a good 
a good chunk of money. But the problem with that is that there's not going to be any. Yeah, they're going to come in shape, but there's not going to be any continuity with our offense and how we like to do things. So it's not even realistic for that guy to think of that guy being able to start. One, he's getting cut by another team. Two, you can't really think of him to start because he's not going to have any continuity with our offense. He's going to have to learn the playbook. And he's just going to get used to how we do things in the building. So that is just we're in a tough predicament for right tackle. And I'm sort of worried. It makes me wonder why Brunskill isn't at least getting reps out there at right tackle. I don't think they've got him from what I understand. Hubbard has immediately came in and took the lion's share of reps at the right tackle with the first team. But Brunskill, I mean, at this point, he has the ability to play tackle. He's played tackle in the past. I would like to see Brunskill get a shot out there. We had some continuity with him in the scheme. He's been with the team, you know, this whole offseason. Throw him out there, give him a chance. Because at this point, our right tackle is looking rough. And in the first four games, we got Cam Jordan and them boys. Miles Garrett is out there. We're facing some dogs these first six weeks without Parlay Petit. He, I mean, he's really, for lack of better words, he's really fucked us. You know, we got, let me let me go through this schedule that we have initial in the first couple games. Because in the pass rushes, we're just going to have to, we're going to have to face in them first couple games. Because it's looking terrible. So we got the Saints, Cam Jordan and them boys. The Chargers, Bosa, uh, the Browns in week three, the Browns, Miles Garrett and them boys, Jim Schwartz, revenge tour. We're going up to Cleveland for that. That's going to be rough. Hendrickson and them boys in Cincinnati the next week. The Colts, they suck. And the Ravens in week six always have good pass rushes up there and a good scheme overall. So Parlay Petit didn't really fucked us. Uh, Jamarco Jones didn't really fucked us. It's just... It's rough right now, man. And the only remedy I know to do is either, and we don't even really have the cap space to do this. I would, you know, I've seen some fans saying trade for Zach Martin at guard and move a tackle out there, but Zach Martin's 32. I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a really, he's one of the best guards in the league. That don't really solve our problem, though. That band-aids it. And what you don't want is to have Zach Martin come in, even though he plays right guard. So it wouldn't necessarily... Uh, have to do anything with Skaronsky, but what you wouldn't want is the O-line coach of Rabel even getting an inkling in their head to move Skaronsky to right tackle when that's not something that he would he's going to be doing for us in the future unless they plan on moving him to right tackle. But he's better used at guard. Across the board, analysts, everybody that said anything about Skaronsky is that he's a perennial guard. Not a perennial tackle. His arms are a little too short. He can't help it. But he's a perennial guard with his how masterful he is of his technique and such. We don't need a stopgap to impact our number one draft pick. So I'm not too high on the Martin, the Martin idea. Plus he's expensive. He's wanting, he's getting paid 13 and a half million. Now he's, I'm assuming he's wanting money, big Q money or 20 million a year. I don't know about it. Not at 32 years old. Granted, we need help on offensive line, but you don't you don't put it at guard. You don't put that you don't invest that type of money at guard. You invest that type of money at a tackle or something, but not guard. We're already paying Dillard big money, three years, 35, 35 million, I think. So we're just in a tough predicament, and it's at the absolute worst time. I mean, of course, the worst time is always the season, but man. This is the second worst time being at the very end of the offseason in the middle of pre- in the where in the preseason games where nobody is available. The people that are available are guys that ain't good enough to be on any team that nobody's wanting. So you don't you really don't want to put your uh, all your eggs in that basket either. So it's just rough right now, man. I don't envy Carthon and I don't envy Vrabel for this right tackle situation, to be honest. But uh, what y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think. And we're also taking callers 931-603-1476 all morning long, 931-603-1476. Make sure you subscribe to us on Twitch, YouTube at TFTV Sports and socials at TFTV Sports, Instagram, TFTV.sports. Y'all let me know what y'all think about the new layout, man. Worked hard on it. Y'all let me know. So we talked about uh, Nashville heavyweight champion Jamarco Jones. Mm, what we got next? What we got next? What we got next? 
Levis, 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 Levis and Willis. So, man, Will Levis, from all reports, man, he's been having some good days. He's been stacking good days. Willis has been struggling a bit, but that might just be in comparing to how clean Tannehill and Levis have looked. Levis himself, is all, all you're seeing is touchdown, after touchdown, after touchdown. Not many interceptions. He might have thrown one interception so far in camp. Willis, on the other hand, has thrown at least three off the top of my head. So, Levis, in my opinion, man, he's and this week he started to take reps with the twos. He had been taking reps against the against and with the threes. So it was it was going to be interesting to see how Levis transitioned to facing a different talent, a more talented pool of uh, defense, more talented pool of defensive players, along with playing with more talented players offensively, being with the twos than the ones. But he seems to have responded really well. And it's beginning to look like I said I said on the X and one show two weeks ago, episode one, I think I said on the X and one show that I thought Willis would be the backup quarterback. But I'm starting to to not feel too good about that statement, especially. And of course, this is all practice and these are all just reports. We don't these. We just know what's going on in the open practices. They have many more practices besides the open practices. So we have no clue what's going on in the closed practices with Levis and Willis and how they're performing. The real tester is going to be during the games when the games come on. That's when we'll really be able to evaluate these guys and see how well they're doing. And then again, you got to take it with a grain of salt because some guys, are, Willis might be going with the, the twos and Levis might be going with the threes that day. And it just it's going to alternate by game to game. They're not just going to all play with twos and threes. Vrabel's probably going to give one of the games to Levis to play with the twos. And one of the games with Willis to play with the twos. But also, I don't expect Tannehill to play much in the preseason either. So I really would be surprised to see Tannehill the first game out there. So it would be Levis and Willis probably split in a half. Really, I don't have to see Tannehill the whole preseason, to be honest. Y'all let me know in the comments what y'all, what are y'all expecting out of Tannehill? I don't think he played a preseason game last year. I wouldn't want him to be playing a preseason game this year. It's just a... Uh, Send the kids out there and let's see. Let's try and evaluate them as much as we can and see exactly what we have on our hands when in Willis and Levis, especially. So give them a half a piece, all three games. That'll be a game and a half, a, a tape that we would have on each player to, to dissect and go from there and really make a good informed decision about who should be the number two quarterback behind Ryan Tannehill and eventually maybe be the number one. You don't ever know. But in my opinion, I, I'm still leaning towards Willis, and that's just based off the fact of him having familiarity with the team and such, and it being his second year and him, I was anticipating, and he has taken a big step up, according to all reports. He has taken a, a very large step up compared to last year. It's according to Vrabel, according to people that are on the ground there. But Willis is, or Levis is really making him work for it, which is good. That's why you want a competition in all positions, especially, well, not not necessarily. It, we could use it at quarterback. We could use the quarterback. But that's 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 the importance of competition across the team is that it's forcing these players to, to not be complacent. It's forcing them to come in and improve every single day and perform every single day. You know, it's one thing to, to listen to your, your coach make you make you say, uh, you know, you know, you got to work hard every day in practice. But if you got a guy right behind you busting his ass trying to take your spot, trying to take food off your off your family's table, you're going to be busting your ass. And that's what we have at the quarterback position. And that's and it can only make for a better quarterback room in the end. So I'm excited to see where that quarterback room goes. Of course, eventually, I think Levis will overtake all three. Maybe that'll be next year. Maybe that'll be I've always went on record and said it'd be by Halloween this year. It remains to be seen. We got a tough gauntlet stretch coming out the six, them first six games. Uh, Vrabel's not really one to panic, though. So that that might have been a little premature on my part, saying Halloween we'll see one of the one of the two Levis or Willis, and it'll it'll probably be it'll probably be uh, Levis in my opinion. Even though I said Willis, but I think the way Levis is playing, we'll see in the preseason too. If he really shines the way he has been shining him throughout training camp. Uh, Tannehill be in trouble, boy. Maybe not by Halloween, but Levis would be knocking on the door by December. If we're struggling or something, Levis is there. 
And that's the benefit of having a good, a good, strong quarterback room is that there's competition. Guys can't rest on their laurels during the season. You can't underperform during the season. You just can't. So I'm eager to see where that quarterback room goes, where the quarterback position goes this year. For all, I don't want Tannehill to have to have to come out and, you know, be replaced by one of our backup quarterbacks because that means we're not playing well. If Tannehill's playing well, we're playing well. I just envision it happening. You know, it's, I just I, I've seen Tannehill. I know how this man operates. I'm not high on Tannehill. I'm not the and of course I'm not the biggest Tannehill supporter, but I or not not the biggest Tannehill fan. I'm a supporter of Tannehill. Don't get me wrong. I support everything Tannehill does, and I want him to succeed. I just don't see him succeeding. That's that's the thing with me. But my hope is that he succeeds. My hope is that we have a really good season and we have a good run at it because we got the tools offensively to do it. Even though offense has been struggling yesterday, apparently they said offense had a terrible day. Well, maybe not a terrible day, but the defense really won the day. You know, everybody can't have a good day. But offensively, we're a lot better today than we were a month ago. And we're a lot better today than we were before the draft. So there's work in progress on that side of the ball. We don't necessarily. The good thing about the way the Titans are built is that we're not relying on our offense to score 30 points a game to win football games. We don't need that. We, like I've said before, we just need 23, 24, 25 points a game out of them, and we're going to win ball games. We are. So Tannehill, Tannehill can do that. That's within Tannehill's wheelhouse. He can perform to that level of putting being a part of an offense that's going to score 20, 25, 26 points a game. Tannehill can do that. He's capable of that. Anything more than that, I do not see it. But we just need Tannehill to play efficiently, to get the ball in the playmakers' hands that we have now, whether that's Henry, Tajay Spears, D-Hop, Chig, Kyle Phillips, or Traylon Burks, or Chris Moore, the way he's been performing. And Roberson. What about Roberson, man, the receiver that we have? He's been scoring touchdowns every day. But we've got playmakers that can you know make plays in space and that can hit a home run, whether that's Burks, Chig or Henry, you know, we have home run hitters on our offense and we have guys that can just move the chains at will like hop. So, and Phillips. So it's just a matter of Tannehill getting the ball into these playmakers, hands on time in the right position and getting the ball out quick. He's going to have to get the ball out quick with this offensive line. You know, he's until, until week six and even after week six with the return of Parlay Petit, he's still going to have to get that thing out quick. But that's something that it's not solely on him. That's on Tim Kelly. Uh, that's on the receivers getting open, getting free releases. Tim Kelly scheming up free releases for some of these receivers like Hop that aren't and Whisper Kina that aren't apt to really beating somebody off a of press. Kelly has to play a part in that too, whether that's through motions or whether that's through consistently, you know, running the ball, running the ball effectively to force these teams into some cover three. To where these receivers aren't are getting free releases off the line of scrimmage, Kelly has to be as big of a part of that as Ryan Tannehill is. So I'm eager to see what Kelly does, and this first three games we'll be able to see how Kelly is as a play caller instead, of, and so we don't have to keep going back to watch fucking 19, 2019 uh, Houston Texans footage. But I'm expecting a lot more, a lot wider formations. I don't think we'll be as tight as we have been in the past with the the use of our tight ends. You can just see that about from a roster composition standpoint is we're not as heavy with tight ends as we were. So, you know, we have Chig. We've got the fellow that we signed. I think I forget his name. He was a blocking tight end that we signed. I haven't really heard much from him from camp, though. Let me, let me get his name. And we've got we've got Josh Wiley, too, who has just made his return to padded practice over this past week. Let me see. Let me try and find out who this tight end is that we have. Because we signed him in free agency, but I ain't heard a thing about him since then. Tight end, Chig, Wesco. Wesco, that's who it is. Trevin Wesco. And we've got Kevin Rader. So those are, we got Chig, Wesco, and Wiley. So that's, and Wesco is the the big blocking tight end that we normally, that prototypical blocking tight end that we have. I ain't going to call it a Swaim. I'll call it a Luke Stalker. Uh, uh, you know, you're, your Watson type, the tight end for that's playing up in up in Green Bay, that mold the tight end. And then we got the dynamic tight end in Chi. 
But Chig is not your inline blocker. I know we like to throw him there just to keep defenses honest. And he has to do that. But that's not a strength of his. So I don't expect Kelly to to cater to that. I'd like to see Chig out wide more. Force like like the Chiefs use Kelsey, try and force mismatches with alignment with Chig. So if Kelly's able to do that, to force mismatches through alignment with Chig and motion with DeAndre Hopkins, I think that puts makes it a lot easier on Ryan Tannehill to put the ball in these in our playmakers' hands on time. And also, if we spread the ball out a little more, it might be a little bit easier to get to the edge with Henry. I just don't expect us to see a lot more, to see as much two tight end, three tight end packages that we've seen in the past with Tim Kelly. He didn't run it a lot in Houston. I don't expect a lot of it down here in, in uh, Tennessee. But, you know, Vrabel has an identity also, and the Titans have identity also. So it'll still be there. We'll still see wrinkles of it. I just antis- don't anticipate seeing that much of it. So, and that would lead us to believe that we'd have, you know, that would put us on the plane to be more dynamic offensively, which is needed, of course. So excited to see what Tim Kelly has in store in preseason, along with the two quarterbacks. Titans defense keep winning games, man. Winning days, I mean. The Titans defense, man, they've been stringing together a bunch of good days in camp. Whether that was the O-line, the O-line's been getting their ass whooped over the course of the open days. It seems like every open day, the O-line begin getting their ass whooped by our D-line, which is not necessarily a slight on our O-line. More so, it's you can take it one of two ways. And the negative fans, they're, of course, they're going to take it as the O-line shit. They're terrible. No talent there. It's going to be our biggest our biggest issue throughout the season. Or you can take the the fans that are sort of on the positive side and say, hey, they're facing one of the best D-lines in the league. You know, if you're facing one of the one of the best D-lines in the league, like you're facing guys like Landry, Simmons, um, fucking Autry and shit, Arden Key, as he's come on. And he's he had he said he had seven sacks in one day. You're facing guys of his nature, Weaver, who's coming, who's coming along. You're gonna get whooped a couple of days out the week. These guys are just too simply too talent, talented, especially without pads. O linemen ain't really gonna win days without pads because you know these guys are just using. They got the kitchen sink. These D linemen do to throw moves at Adam without pads. You ain't really expecting a guy to bull rush your ass like Big Jeff. He gonna bull rush you, knocking you on your ass. Uh, I think I seen a report from TD. He said. Simmons forklifted one of the guys. So, you know, it's just it's hard for it's hard for O-Lyman to win without pads, without pads on for one. But this D-line has been playing together for such a long time that they're going to cause heaps and havoc on any O-line, let alone an O-line that's only been together for shit three months with our O-line. You know, we ain't returned. The only person we returned on that O-line is Brew. And Parlay Petit, but Parlay Petit ain't on the O-line right now. So we've got one returning starter on the O-line at the moment. These guys got to build some continuity. Especially when you're running a scheme like us, we don't really run a lot of... We've run, we've started to run a bit more ISO, but we don't really run a lot of man-up blocking. We have a primarily zone scheme. That takes a little bit of teamwork and cohesion with the O-line, with the guard and the tackle, getting their spacing right for one from an alignment perspective. They have to get their spacing right initially. But then they have to get in the in the movement together of moving in sync with this zone with this zone scheme. Because if you got one guy that's moving a little bit faster than the other guy, it's just it takes a lot of time to really gel in that zone scheme. Because everybody's got to be on the same pace and the same speed and the same page. One guy's moving a little faster than the other, that creates a gap. One by one guy moving a little slower. If the tackle's moving a little slower than the guard, that the edge is coming up free. They've just got to learn. It's gonna take time. They've just got to learn. To to be cohesive, cohesive, and they've got to develop that communication on the O line with in the pass blocking and such. You know, it's a big loss. Somebody like Ben Jones, who's the leader of that offensive line and the leader of the offense, calling out calling out uh, blocking schemes at the line of scrimmage and being the communicator. I don't think people have realized how much of a loss that is. I mean, he's he was the leader of that offensive line room, so. Brew is more than capable, according to all reports and according to Vrabel. Vrabel, Brew is more than capable of, you know, stepping into that role as we've seen against Green Bay last year in the infamous Downing DUI game. 
he's more than capable of doing that, doing that role and succeeding in that role in that position. And he started to, but it takes time. So these things take time. I wouldn't sound the alarm on the O-line yet. Just quite. Let's see how they are. Week one against New Orleans. And they better be improved by week two because week three, they're going to Cleveland. So week one, it might be a little rough. We should be able to see some improvement week two and going into week three. It's going to be a battle up there in Cleveland. I figured we're going to be running the ball a lot in Cleveland, trying to slow down that pass rush. But we need to see, give the O-line till about week two, that game in week two against, uh, I think we're playing the Chargers that game. So give the O-line till, till week two. We should see improvement in that game at home against the Chargers. And then week three is going to be, like I said, it's going to be a battle against Cleveland and Miles Garrett and them boys and Jim Schwartz, where it's going to be a battle with that O-line. Either way, don't sound the alarms yet, Titans fans. Don't sound the alarms yet. Taylor Lewan. Taylor Lewan. So uh, Paul, Paul Kaharski tweeted yesterday. He's somewhat tweeting the obvious, but he's the first one to stick his neck out on this. Uh, he said, it's last night. A little before eight, he said, I expect Taylor Juan to make his retirement official in the next month. Unsurprising based on what he looks like weight wise right now. But an official move is an official move. So if you've seen anything of Taylor Juan since the end of last year and even even throughout the end of uh, throughout the season last year when he was hurt, uh, he's lost a lot of weight. And he's definitely I would say. I mean, he's he's probably looking 20, 30 pounds at a minimum lighter than he than he normally played at, if not more, honestly, if not more. But, you know, he's not in shape. He's not in big enough shape to be a starting tackle in his league just just yet. He, I mean, I'm sure it wouldn't be hard for him to put on weight. He's He's had to maintain that weight for years, so it wouldn't be hard to put it on. But I just don't see it happening. And. It's interesting. It brings up the conversation of Taylor Lewan's legacy in Nashville as a player. I don't give a damn about the podcast shit. I'm talking about as a player for the Tennessee Titans in his seven, eight years with the team, if not more. Uh, he came to he came to the Titans when they were in a rough spot. So, I mean, you can't doubt. I don't I'm not his biggest fan, but I can't say that he wasn't a part of the rebuilding of this franchise and turning this into a winning turning the culture around from what it was to the winning culture that it is now. Of course, Vrabel had a big deal with that. J-Rob, as shitty as he was on the tail end of his tenure, he had a big deal with that. But Luan was there through the thick and thin. You got to think of him, guys like him, Kern, Bayard, guys that have been around since the dark days, uh, the pre-Munchak days, the days with Wizard Hunt and such, that it was just rough to be a Titans fan and wake up on Sunday mornings to watch the game. Of course, somehow we were so still delusioned to think that we was going to win. At least me. I was still delusioned thinking we had a chance to win every game. It's the NFL, man. Everybody got a chance. I, I thought that our chances were a lot better than other people's thought of our chances, but it was still there. You know, we still had some hope. And without a starting left tackle there that we that we could rely on, that we could... And in his heyday, he was neutralizing... He was neutralizing great pass rushers. I'll give him that in his heyday. Tail end of career, injuries, ACL, that botched ACL surgery he talked about really, really did him did him down dirty. But in his heyday, he was neutralizing a, a, a premier pass rusher. Didn't have to worry about it. Granted, we didn't have a quarterback to throw <laughs> during that time, so it, it sort of was in vain. But those days... I mean, he's a, he was a great left tackle for us. And then you also fast forward to when Vrabel's come in and a little bit before Vrabel's come in, the days of run left with him and Saffold and just being able to run left at will, no matter what the defense throws at him. The defense knows we're running left. We know we're running left. The whole stadium knows we're running left. And you hand the ball off to Henry behind Lawan and Saffold, and we still find a way to get five, six yards every, every, every time, five, six yards a pop. That's that's saying something in, in today's league and in the NFL, in any league that is, in any sport, if you're able to be that predictable and succeed at that high of a clip when everybody knows what you're going to do and be that unstoppable, that's dominance. And that's what we had at the left tackle spot over the last couple of years with Taylor Lewan in the fold. Yeah, all the, he had a lot of the, the extracurricular and such and his and we, we can't just act like it's all it was all rosy for Lewan with this either. He had a really bad bout with 
you know, being penalized, and that was something he had to work on. The fans had turned on him a bit early. And he managed to remedy all that. He he improved himself as a player, you know, under Vrabel and before Vrabel with improving his, his penalties. He wasn't doing as much dumb shit as, as he was doing before when he came in the league. Uh, he was just, he was a very good, serviceable left tackle from us and really, really was, was good for us to where we didn't have to endure a long period without a left tackle after we let go of, uh, I think it was, it was Michael Ro- or Roos. So we had Roos and Big Stewart, Big Country David Stewart, Michael Roos, I want to say. So it was a he really eased that transition that we had between Roos and him. And for that, I'm thankful. And any Titans fan should be thankful because we see now the situation we're in with tackles. You know, if you're able to just ease one right in like we did with Luan, it makes everything so much easier. It makes the offense way easier. It makes team building and building building the team, building the offense so much easier when you've got a pillar at left tackle like we had with Taylor Lewan for all these years. I'm appreciative of him. It ended a little sour in my book. I think we held on to him a little longer and than we should. And of course, you know, hindsight being 2020, that contract hindered us a bit last year. But at the time, you you know, these NFL players, if you ain't a running back, you're signing for what you've done, not what you're going to do in the future. And for what he did, he deserved to be compensated with that to contract. So you can't you can't say that we shouldn't have signed him to that contract. It's, it's just you can't do it. Now, hindsight's 2020. He performed well and he deserved it up until that point. And then injuries, he was just unlucky at that point with injuries. By no accounts is he not a hard worker. It's just injuries got the best of him like they do most players in the NFL. So. I'm thankful for Taylor Lewan, and hopefully we can find a left tackle or maybe Diller. Hopefully Diller can become that guy that's going to be a pillar for us offensively to where we don't have to worry about that left tackle spot. And our, more importantly, our quarterback doesn't have to worry about that left tackle spot. So, of course, this isn't official or anything that Taylor Lewan's retired yet. It's pure speculation, but the speculation seems to have got, garnered some legs. And if you look at Taylor Lewan, you look at his legs, hell, he, he ain't ready to be in the NFL right now. You know, he's he's podcasting. He's doing what he loves. He's doing what he enjoys. I don't blame him. And it's much better than being in the NFL taking hits for 17 games a year on a bum knee. So thank you, Taylor Luan, for everything you've done for the Titans, man. Uh, thank you for easing the transition from Roos to you. And I just wish we had a better ready-made replacement for you this go-around to where we could have a similar transition. But we don't. Hopefully, Diller can be that guy, but it remains to be seen. It remains to be seen. What else we got? Caleb Farley. Caleb Farley, agent, Drew Rosenhaus, according to TD, Toronto Davenport, ESPN. I think this was on, what day was this? This was a couple days ago. It was not this past open practice, but it was earlier in the week. I want to say probably Tuesday or Wednesday. But Drew, excuse me, Drew Rosenhaus, who's the NFL super agent, was spotted at the NFL practice facility speaking to Caleb Farley, his client, and he also spoke with Mike Vrabel. So just just something interesting that Rosenhaus is there on site. It, we don't really have a have an out with Caleb Farley right now. I I don't expect him to be on the team next year, but there's no out this year for him on the team unless we're able to find a trade partner. And I would take a bag of chips for him at this point. What a terrible, terrible draft pick that was by John Robinson. Surely, maybe I ain't gonna say surely because nobody would probably want him. But it would be amazing if we could find a way to get a late round pick for him in a trade. But if we release him at this point, we have a dead cap hit of I think three million. So it's it's just not worth it's just not worth releasing him at this point unless we're able to get some compensation for him. That's the the hope. But I just don't see that I don't see that happening. Caleb, he's just he's not good enough. I think his mentality is not good enough either. It's just you know it's just it was just a terrible pick. It's just a terrible pick by J Rob. It's not even worth more the uh, it's not even worth hampering on anymore or leaning on anymore because it's just it is what it is. A terrible pick. His mindset isn't there. His and you can honestly say his talent ain't there neither. He's been hurt. Ain't no way he's running a four three or four two, whatever he was running when he came out of college. And even that was debatable. He wasn't running the shit because his back was messed up. So he ain't ran to me, he probably ain't ran a four two since his sophomore year of college. He's it's just it's just no there's no future with him. And if we can find a way to get some compensation for him, that's the best thing to happen. 
But at this point, we can't release them. We might as well still just, I mean, hold on to the bets. We we ain't got nothing but a, a $5, a $5 chip left. You might as well put it on black. So that's the point that we're at with, with Caleb Farley. I just don't see, I just don't see that happening, man. I don't see it working out. I don't see it happening. I don't see a team coming in offering a lick for him. You know, I, I don't even see a team giving up a seventh round pick for him. I would take a seventh round pick and I'd run with it if I were, if I were uh, the Titans and I was Carthon. But it remains to be seen. Hopefully, we're able to get some compensation for him. Rosenhaus being there means something. He just didn't fly into Nashville to, you know, just to talk to his client. You know, it's it's maybe there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Hopefully, it's a trade or something. But I don't I don't see them cutting Farley at this point in time. I just don't see it. What else? Top 100. So Josh Jacobs coming in at number 12. Granted, I, I know he ran for 1,600-some yards. Eckler coming in at number 21. I don't see how Eckler came in four spots above Henry. Eckler didn't have that good of a damn year. He scored some touchdowns, yeah, but other than that, he didn't. That's like that's like James Conner the last. It's not like James Conner, but his touchdown count being inflated to his other stats is similar to what James Conner did in Arizona the year before. You know, you got a guy like Henry. He's not four st- four spots better than Henry. He's not even getting the lion's share of his reps out in out with the Chargers. He's splitting reps with Kelly. So I don't understand how Eckler gets number twenty one. No, he does does well out the backfield. He's a good player, and he's 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 outspoken in the running back community. But so is so is Henry lately. But I just I just don't understand how he's four spots four spots better than than Henry, and I don't understand how Josh Jacobs is is almost third is is thirteen. He's 13 spots better than Henry. I damn sure don't understand that. But, you know, it's good. Either way, you know, that's that's a moot point. It's good that these running backs are getting recognition, even though it's it doesn't get far within in the concept of them getting their their due and money. But it's it's always good to see running backs getting the recognition that they deserve for how important they are to the team. And just to just to get that recognition in the media, because that's where it starts and the media, and hopefully you would think that would trickle down to the organizations and the GMs that are in charge of getting these guys paid. And it, it's going to be interesting to see what Jonathan Taylor, the contract Jonathan Taylor gets. His If you've seen any any videos of him at camp walking around with his back, man, he, it looks bad. His back. His back looks very, very bad. And they say it's from the rehab of his ankle, but that's not an ankle injury that I'm seeing. And the reports are coming out now that he uh, that the reports are coming out that he's reported a back injury in his pre-camp physical. And that's why the Colts are coming out saying that they're they're thinking about not paying him for the season, putting him on the uh, the non non injury at the facility list, whatever it's called and forfeiting his salary, which would be terrible. That would be a step back for running backs. But. It was, it's just going to be interesting to see the contract he gets if he manages to get healthy. If he doesn't get healthy, then, I mean, it's just, it would be, I'm not going to say it would be selfish for him because it's it's not selfish. It's it's him being cognizant of his family and whatever his family needs are. But him to sign up for a long-term deal for less money because he's coming off an injured season instead of signing a, a prove-it deal, would sort of that would set running backs back another two or three years until the next big running back comes up ready to get paid. I know Josh Jacobs is ready to get paid, but I don't, I don't see him getting paid. Hey, you, they'd have to wait for one of, one of these rookies, Bijan or, or Gibbs or Walker the third out in Seattle, even though he's, he's shown to uh, be injured. So I, I would like to see him get a, get a prove deal and play extremely well. Of course not with the Colts, but I don't give a damn if it's with the Colts or not. Cause he never plays well against us, but I would just like to see what he does from a perspective of, you know, a prove-it deal when he's healthy and able to perform at the talent that he has because he's a really talented back, and I want to see these running backs find a way to get paid. I don't want my team paying running backs, <laughs> but I want to see these running backs find a way to get paid and get their worth with how much they're bringing to teams. So, Red Sox. We're going to talk some Red Sox. Sadon Rafaela. Sadon Rafaela, hot prospect in AAA. For the Red Sox. And the Red Sox can use him. They need a damn bat. He can play in the outfield. He can play shortstop, middle infield. He's he's in. He just got called up to AAA. 
He's played 28 games since being, being called up to AAA. And he's already hit nine home runs. Three straight games uh, leading up to, including yesterday, that he's hit home runs in. And I think he had, there was a, a day yesterday or the day before where he had seen like 25 pitches. And these, it's, these are whereabout numbers. He had seen 25 pitches and he had got walked four times. And the one he's only swung at one pitch. And the one pitch he had swung at ended up being a home run. So very poised hitter, very talented hitter. They say he can play shortstop at a, a you know at a potentially a Gold Glove level. He plays in the outfield a little bit now, but at this point in time, man, what the hell do the Red Sox? What the hell do the Red Sox have to lose? Call up Rafaela, get him on the roster, get him acclimated. Don't wait until September next month to call him up. Call him up now. He's red hot. Call him up now. Let him perform for the Red Sox. Chang, put him at shortstop if you want. I mean, I think he could play good enough defense sure, at shortstop. I think he could be good enough defensively. I do. Chang, the uh the shortstop that were I sound like I sound like damn Trump. Chang, the shortstop that they have now, is hitting like 210. You know, stories out. It's just the Red Sox have nothing to lose. We didn't really make a move at the deadline. So, you know, the only trophy Chang Blue, who's sticking with Chang. The only trophy that Chain Blue has right now is the number three farm system in the league, you know, and that's according to Fangraphs, who's not really the the best farm league, <laughs> the best farm league representer, not representer, but evaluator. So I don't know what Chain's plan is. It's been a lot of anxiety in the Red Sox, amongst Red Sox fans, with what exactly is Chain Bloom's plan? I we under, I understand developing youth. But what good is developing youth if you just let them go at the end of the when they when they reach their peak? Screw that, man. You let Betts go. You let Bogarts go. These are Red Sox guys. You know what? To me, what good is developing your youth if you're not going to pay them? If you're not going to keep them around? Yeah, we kept Devers, but that was one out of three perennial guys that we had. And you can look at what Bogarts has done in, in San Diego. That's bullshit. He wouldn't be hitting 270 if he was playing for the Red Sox and had that continuity that he's had year to year. He'd be hitting where he normally hits 300, 310, get up there possibly 310. But I would like to see Rafaela called up and to see what he can do on the major league level because he's performed at every level that he's been in. He played in the the all-star rookie game two years ago, I want to say, performed well in that. He is a talented player and one of the most talented players in the Red Sox farm system. Give him a chance and call him up and let's see what he can do. We're not in a position where we can challenge for a World Series this year. I think that's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, we've got one of the best managers in baseball, and he's doing the best he can at this point, getting us to where we're at, a little above 500. Call up Rafaela. Let's see what he can do offensively. And if he if he struggles defensively, so be it. You know, it's it, that's not going to necessarily lose us as many games as we're going to lose with not having the bats that we need. Call up Rafaela. See what he does offensively. And... It's not really going to see what he does. He's going to perform. Watch him perform offensively. Watch him perform for the Red Sox if he gets called up. I don't care what position they got to put him in. Call up Sadon Rafaela. Let's see what he does, Red Sox. Come on, Chain. Call him up. Let's see it. What else? Baseball. So we got Anthony. We're going to talk Anthony Rizzo with the Yankees. I know we go from Red Sox to Yankees, but it's really interesting, this Anthony Rizzo story. Uh, he got put on the, the IL by, by the Yankees. Yesterday, I want to say, and they attributed it to a concussion that he had suffered against San Diego in May. And I got a stat here, an interesting stat, and this is scary because it's it's sad. And Joe Mauer had a similar issue that I immediately thought of Joe Mauer when I was reading up on this Anthony Rizzo story and the issues Joe Mauer had after he sustained his concussion in 2013, I want to say. But. Rizzo has the AL. Yankees are tracing it to a concussion suffered against the Padres in May. And Rizzo himself has said he noticed he was more tired, but attributed it to the grind of the season. He mentioned waking up feeling hungover and occasionally forgot the numbers of outs. Testing showed his reaction time was slower. Quote, I just didn't forget how to do this all of a sudden. End quote. Very sad story for Rizzo. The concussion happened in May. He was hitting in 53 games. He was hitting 11 home runs. Hitting 304, 376 with a 505. That was his slash before the concussion happened. After the concussion happened, he's only had 46 games. So same sample size. He's only hit one home run. 
and he's slashing 172, 271, and 225 with a 496 OPS compared to his 880 OPS before the concussion. Incredibly sad story to see what's going on with Anthony Rizzo because he's a very talented player, very good defensively, and a very good hitter. But concussions with baseball players has just seemed to really, it really impacts them a little differently than it would. You know, it 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 impacts it impacts professional athletes all over, but the immediate effect that it has on baseball players, granted, we don't really have a high sample size of how often this happens with baseball players because it doesn't really happen often, but my mind immediately goes to Joe Maurer. Concussions really hinder a a player at a, like when he's batting. Also, you know, they move Joe Maurer out of catching after his concussion. But their reaction time really like he they did the testing, his reaction time is much slower. That makes a big difference when you're facing pitchers of the caliber that the MLB caliber guys are pumping 100, 103. Your itty bitty reaction time is the difference. And I think Rizzo said this, but from my personal experience, your reaction time just being a millisecond late is the difference between fouling a ball straight back or hitting a ball 400 feet over center field. And that's just on the good pitches that you get to hit. And MLB, they don't get that many good pitches to hit. So if you miss that one or maybe two good pitches that you're going to get to hit and in that bat, that's your at-bat gone. You know, you miss that one pitch, you're, that pitch that you can, that the mistake that the pitcher makes, now you're just going to see him, he's throwing you his best pitches, his kitchen sink, it's back to what, what he was doing. Hitters cannot afford, and especially in this day and age, as good as pitchers have gotten, hitters cannot afford to miss mistakes. And when you've had a concussion like Rizzo has, and your reaction time is, has hindered, and that plus his confidence has had to have been has dwindled also. You just it's hard to play the game, succeed in the game in that manner when you're missing mistakes. So Rizzo's made a career out of hammering mistakes, praying on mistakes, the way he even hits, standing up on the plate. He prays on mistakes and baits pitchers into mistakes. If he's not available, if he's not able to take advantage of those mistakes, then a guy like Rizzo, man, it's just sad to see. It's just he doesn't He's not really, especially at the position he plays, he doesn't really have a future in the league. And that's terrible, terrible to think about from a concussion. But that's just where where we are in, in sports medicine and baseball nowadays is concussions are just something that it just happens. And it's not something that we know exactly how to fix. It's one of the few injuries we have in professional sports that we don't really have a, a remedy for just because it's so complex and it's dealing with the brain. And with football, it's more more so preventive. You got to think other injuries and other body injuries that we have, ACLs, Tommy John, how great sports medicine has gotten with that. And of course, they've they've implemented prevention measure prevention measures to prevent those type of injuries. But the reaction and the reactionary measures and surgeries that they have afterwards have improved tenfold. We don't have that for concussions at this point. And with baseball, the only prevention measure we have for concussions is a, a helmet. But the way Rizzo got hurt, he didn't even get hit by a pitch. Uh, I think Tatis, he was trying to get picked off. Tatis was getting picked off, and Rizzo was straddling the bag as a first baseman normally does. Tatis didn't slide in. He was he was pretty close to the bag, didn't slide in, and hit him with his thigh in the head. So it's it's just a, a run-of-the-mill, unlucky injury, and I hate to see it happen. But it's interesting to pull up Joe Maurer's numbers after his concussion in 2013. So in 2013, he suffered a concussion in August. He didn't play the rest of that year. After that, he never they didn't put him back at catcher. They moved him to first base because of the concussion. But after that 2013 year, he only hit over 300 one year in 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. After his concussion in 2013, he only hit over 300 in 2017 once, and that was 305. So Joe Maurer before that was a guy that's ended years hitting 360, 365, 347. One of the most talented hitters, one of the most talented hitting catchers the game has ever seen. And a concussion drove him right off a cliff, except that one year in 2017. And if you take his batting average by month, 
He didn't. He only hit over 300 by month. One, two, three, four, five times until uh, May. I've got it until May of 2017. So a concussion really derailed his career. He was only in his early 30s when he had that concussion uh, in 2013. So it's just a it's just a nasty injury that has a nasty effect on MLB players and more specifically MLB hitters with their concussions. Pitchers more so they can they can perform without it, but it's just with hitters. Like I said earlier, if you're if their reaction time is just a little bit off and they're missing the mistakes that these pitchers are making, it's just hard to recover from that. Extremely sad story with Anthony Rizzo. I hope that he recovers fully. Rivalry aside, I hope he recovers fully and gets back to the the talented player that he was. But just concussions are just scary, scary, scary injuries, and uh, it's just it's just a terrible story. So, hope to here's the Anthony Rizzo. Hopefully, he gets better. Hopefully, the stint on the IL does him some good. Maybe they hold him out for the rest of the year so he can just get more comfortable. He's he started to, I think no, it's Joe Mauer had to completely change his attire during the game. With he's He had to hit with sunglasses on during the game because of his concussion. So maybe that's something that Anthony Rizzo would do, but all concussions are differently. That's the thing. We just don't know much about concussions to uh, give him the tools that he needs to succeed after this concussion. But we'll see how it goes. Hopefully he gets better, and and just hopefully he gets better, man. What else do we have? I think that's it. I think that's it. So yeah, another good show, man. Thank y'all for everybody for joining in. Uh, make sure y'all subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Twitch at TFTV Sports. Episode two of the X and One Show was released on Tuesday. That's on all streaming services and on YouTube at the X and One Show, the Sports Section Morning Show. This is on all streaming services too. It's also on YouTube at TFTV Sports. So the podcast will be up. Uh, momentarily be up by the end of the day video of this will be up by tomorrow at the very latest thank you to everybody that joined appreciate y'all man y'all have a good weekend